Stand clear. 100% wild podcast. So for all you listeners, hello and welcome to definitely not your favorite outdoor podcast. All right, 100% wild podcast. I am your new host, Matt and Tim have quit. Breaking news, everybody. Breaking news. The Cardinals have signed Wilson Contreras, and Matt Drury and Tim Chelsevic have quit and resigned from the 100% Wild podcast. I'll be taking over. This is the first of many, many incredibly interesting podcasts with me as your host. This is episode 298. We're going to ride this one as long as we can. Um, Actually, I'm joking. Tim's at home with a sick child. Matt's at home with a sick child. I drove five hours to come be a guest on their podcast. And uh, Matt, what's happening? How's Cameron doing? What's up? He's upstairs. He's on the mend. Uh, I appreciate you driving all this way to come into the studio. We never get Mark in studio. And then it just so happens. Tim texted me this morning, said he couldn't come in. He's got sick kids. And then about... One o'clock, I had a call from the school nurse, and I had to go pick Cameron up. So I had to call Mark on his way and said, eh, we got to call an audible. You are now the new host. Here we go. So we're going to change things around here. I figured this was appropriate. <laughs> says out of office for Matt and Tim, but I'm glad to be here and uh, glad to be talking about some deer hunting today for sure. That's right. So as we were, you know, planning this, I thought it'd be great to have you on as we near the 300th episode. You just so happen to be coming into town. I think, are you picking up uh, Lucille? Are you picking up grandma? To I, go am. Up your camp? I, I am. I'm taking her back to Iowa with me and uh, hopefully she can kill her first Iowa buck this coming weekend. So I'm very excited to take her hunting. Awesome. Awesome. Good deal. Well, I thought it'd be great and a a good chance or opportunity for you to kind of get us up to speed. Last time we talked, I think you had just uh, recently killed maybe a a 183 or so. But in the weeks since then, you and your crew up there went on an absolute tear. And and there was about a 24 hour period, I feel like, where you went through three states and, and you guys killed three different deer. It was pretty awesome to see. So I felt like we'd be able to go through some of that and then maybe hit uh, strategies for the late season, the, the last few weeks or months here. Yeah, certainly. Absolutely. We can we can talk about any and all of it. That's that's uh, easy to do. It's kind of a blur at this point here. Every year, just around Thanksgiving, which we're post-Thanksgiving now, I, I always remember each year you kind of hit that that wall of man alive. It's it, The season's feeling a little bit long, especially as the rut tails off, you know. This year... Um, fairly warm weather. They got back on green and, and the deer started moving pretty good again. So it, it reinvigorated all of us. And uh, we had a, a pretty good run there in, in late November going into early December. So that's what you're referencing. So it, it was, uh, it's been, been fun, certainly. Yeah, I'm going to have to say, speak for yourself on that <laughs> invigorating final couple of weeks. I, I don't know what it is, but Tim and I can't beg, borrow, or steal seeing a deer. And I've hunted a couple states now and i i'm just not seeing that kind of activity but when you get into a rut like that it what you know which i you guys probably don't relate to that as much anymore because you you're so dialed in and all that off-season work really comes you know i think it comes to fruition right here in this period but if you're getting into a rut like that which i'm sure there's some listeners out there that can relate 
what kind of things can you do to try to get out of the rut? And we asked Terry the same thing. You know, all you can do is just keep keep pushing through. And the, I always try to take care of problems that I'm, I'm facing during the season after the season. So in other words, my corrective measures would start either now or shortly thereafter. And if, if you look at where Terry's at and where I'm at, we're at the tail end of corrective measures that we've been making for many, many years. Mm -hmm. So I went, I don't know, probably 15 years ago away from a single large farm strategy into multiple farms um, that, that I, where I'm hunting different deer herds. That was to ward off or have an insurance policy against EHD. And um, since then, over the past 15 years, I've expanded on how many different farms I, I own and I, I, I sell larger farms and in, in reinvest in, in smaller ones. So that, that has its pros and cons, but it has paid off pretty well here over the past several years, certainly since like 2014 or 15, it's, it's been a good strategy for us up there. And uh, we, we've taken quite a few deer because we have lots of options. And the advent of cell cams made that overall strategy even easier and stronger because of the fact that you could kind of keep track of what's going on during, during the season. So my long-winded answer is I think you need more spots if you can get them, you know, just to have more options. Like if, you know, lease one isn't working, well, what about lease two? And if they're both not working, what's plan C, D, E, and so on and so forth. And I, I do think it helps if you have lots of options when it comes to whitetails because they are so finicky. Injuries happen. EHD happens. They get locked down. I mean, there's lots of reasons they won't move or aren't on your area. Uh, so I think you increase your odds by having more spots, more trail cams, and it just keeps you in the game more often. You kind of saw it while you were up there, and, and I had you and Scott as part of the shared album. You may still be part of the shared album. I don't know. Uh, yeah. But you, you see all the, the different pictures I throw in there on a daily basis, and it's just because we have a, a lot of different spots to, to hunt. You know, I mean, I'm actively you know, watching probably 15 or 16 different farms in Iowa that vary anywhere in size from – 40 acres up to 400 you know nothing larger than that so it's just uh, about having a lot of, a lot of darts at the board yeah yeah so you know and i think i think obviously your your probably average joe won't be able to relate to that but in in another essence you can take what you have and i guess to your point of like you're trying to the corrective measures and you think about them now for next year I sit there and, and especially on this this new lease from last year, I sit there and we made corrective measures this year and we did see, we have seen more movement and it's gotten better. But I think in the off season, if we're going to keep the lease, the corrective measures for this off season is creating more of a, you know, whether it's TSI or get, get the bedroom, try to make or create a bedroom that's closer to our food sources. And, and that might help us a little bit more as well. I mean, is that, I, I feel like that stuff that you guys do up there and, and have set, had some, some success with even like Perry's deer, he just killed. Didn't you guys do quite a bit of work on that piece? Yeah, that's a piece we've had for 15 years and never killed a deer off of it because it was a, uh, it came along with another lease and it's a 50 acre parcel that frankly, there's not a lot of deer in because it is surrounded by cattle pasture and we really hunted it's 170 acres all total and 120 is what I, I hunt the most but this 50 is it was too open in there so we went in with permission of the landowner and helped them 
uh, manicure in and around some walnut trees that they wanted to release and to do better. And at the same time, we were able to do some small TSI. I'm talking three or four acres of a bedroom. And then we also ran a fire through it and really enhanced the warm season grasses. It hadn't been burnt in, my goodness, probably 20 or 25 years. So we went from, you know, knee-high grass up to chest-high grass because of that burn. And then we increased the food. So uh, it, it actually paid off. And last year it was starting to do good, and this year it, it did pretty good. So, and, and that's why I mentioned Terry and I are at the tail end of corrective measures. Like we've been correcting mistakes and things that have gone wrong for 40 years, right? And that's why I say I'm at the point now, and, and perhaps other people will be on an evolutionary curve like this where I've got a lot of, a lot of farms and a lot of spots and a lot of permission spots and a lot of, a lot of leases and stuff. Uh, that's just where I'm at current day. And that's why I, I prefaced I'm at the tail end of it. So you're somewhere in that curve and other people that are listening might say, I can't pull that off this year, but they might work towards that as they age, you know? Um, so it's just, it's a matter of correcting everything that went wrong, but somewhere along the line, you're going to go, I need more spots, you know, and I, I got to oh, have them somewhere or, or another, you know? Oh, I'm there. It's a matter of finding one, I think. And, and, and then of course, I don't want to skip over. Like I've got all my spots tweaked out. I've got food where it needs to be. I've got cover where it needs to be. I've got the access. I got the water. I've done all that already. So I skipped over that. But in reality, your, your point is correct. Correct things, add bedroom closer to food add food you know of course the drought get, gave all of us a curveball this year but i skipped over the the most important part is find a better spot or make your spot better and in reality it's it's a combination of both yeah yeah so as you look back through that little tear that you guys went on in late november what you know you you said that it was a combination of deer going back to green and obviously you guys typically have a ton of green food source but with the drought I don't know that it was as much as in years past. So are you are you seeing that even with a little bit of food? I mean, you still have a decent amount of food, but the the on say a 40 acre piece, if if you had maybe a just a couple acres of food and it's not really your typical, you know, knee-high brassicas and stuff like that that you guys are used to, are they still hitting it hard? Are they still going to green hard? And like is that something they're doing at this point in December or have they moved off of it and going to grain at this point? They're both, you know, so many of our fields, I have both grain and green together so that whatever they choose, there's something there. This is a bean field that we carved a green field out in the middle of it on the very east side of the property for west wind, you know, um, hunting. And that drought, it threw us for a curveball because first planting virtually nothing took second planting some things took and it's really the third planting that we're dealing with right now because we caught an inch and a half to two inches of rain across all the farms the third time we planted there in late september and thank goodness we took the time to plant the third time and and that's not one or two plots the last the third planting was 33 the first planting was 41 the second planting was like 14 so all total it was like 100 green fields you know that got planted some of them multiple times um but thank goodness we did because that rain hit and and we planted accordingly to the time of the year and we went with winter grass rather than brassicas or radishes because it, we knew there wasn't enough time for that plant and um it's been pretty good it, it slowed down when we got that mid-november snow uh, which always snows them slows them down on on your green fields it's it hung in there for about a week and i don't know what it does to the plant but it certainly makes them less palatable or something because uh it did slow them down compared to what the usage was however uh 
there's not a lot of green out there in the pastures and the clover fields in general. So there is a lot of attraction to those, those few green fields that we have that are up. And that's how I killed that, that 185 there in, in late, I think it was November 28th, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's interesting. You know, we were, well, last night, Scott and I hunted out there at the lease and we're on a spot. I, I got, I could have went to a couple different spots there last night. I got one little kind of hidey hole clover plot that was pre-existing when we got the lease. And uh, we've actually hunted it quite a bit here in the last month or so, because we've been having decent encounters. And I elected instead to go to what we call hot corner because we have green and grain. We have four acres of standing beans and that I, you know, had the farmer leave for us. And then we got what was our third planting of a green food source. It was just a, a mix of, you know, a bunch of different things. And, and it didn't come up like we, we didn't get rain after that one either. And it really didn't come up, but now we've gotten plenty of rain in the fall since then. And it just looks like a yard. And I don't know, what exactly it may just be like a you know like a weed or something i don't know what the hell it is but it looks green and you know it looks nice and it's pretty big so i thought what the hell they're probably gonna maybe hit that and then go out to the the grain because last night it was pretty cold but man we got skunked we didn't see a deer as soon as we left checked the trail cameras scott's uh, shooter showed up literally you know minutes after we left and then over on another green field uh, my shooter showed up it's just like i when they're moving at dark like that, I just, it's like almost nothing we can do to, to get there when they're there. You know what I mean? It's just like, uh, they're too, they live too far away. Yeah. They're bedding a little too far. And you know, the same thing happened to us though. The night before I killed that deer, we saw him the night before and he came out late and, um, he, he had an injury. So I told Perry, I said, he's gonna have to come out early in order to make it through that bean field over here to our green field. And, and he did that the following night. So sometimes it's a weather as to whether they get up, you know, in time to make it there. And if you don't have optimal weather, the chances are they're, they're not gonna make it. And we, we had that the night we killed him. It was a warm up, it was high pressure, it was sunny. And he came out a full hour and 10 minutes before he did the, the previous night. And yet it still took him almost to dark to come across the bean field and then kill him on that, on that green field. So talk about that deer. It had a real interesting injury on the leg or what the front leg, I think. And yeah, front, I mean, that's front, the injury right, you're yeah. talking about. Yeah, so what, th that was a deer get? that I had so many summer pictures of. And about August the 31st, he just fell off the cameras, you know. And this was a deer we knew from last year. I had conversations with my neighbor about him. He knew the deer as well. And we both said, boy, if he makes it to age five and a half, he's going to be a giant. And he was, you know, got pictures of him this summer up through late August, and then he just fell off the face of the earth. So I'm assuming he dispersed or EHD, obviously, that time of the year. And then it was like... It was like two months where he was just gone. And then I get a late October picture or two, and then a mid-November picture. But then in late November, I see this giant ball on his front uh, front right, and it, and it turned out to be like all calcified. And, and it was, I'm gonna say the size of a, of a baseball. And it, it literally had his leg locked. You couldn't move it. Like it was totally locked in, in place, whatever the injury was. Not only did it do that, it also, whatever was eating at him, eroded all the muscle mass in his shoulder. Um, I've got a clip I've, I've sent to a few people, and the word I got back was some neurological thing probably stemming from a disease, but all the muscle was gone in the shoulder. There was literally no meat 
in his in his shoulder. It was just bone and skin. Weird. Yeah, it was really really an odd injury. But you know, I have pictures of him chasing does, and you see when I shot him, he kind of hobbled in. But when I shot him, he had his wheels, and I mean, he was flying to get out of there. You know, so he was very mobile, and and he didn't succumb to predation. Um, but it just goes to show you that window of what happened to the deer, he was on the sidelines nursing an injury. It's very similar to um, wounding one with a bad hit, and then you don't get pictures of them for a while. Well, they, that's what happens when they get sick or, or get wounded. They just bed up and just don't move very far, and that's exactly what happened to him. It put him on the sidelines a couple couple months, and I, I traded text with the neighbor, and he goes, he goes, I'm flabbergasted. He goes, I don't have one single picture of that deer this year, and I had him all throughout last year. He goes, I just can't believe it. And I said, more proof that he simply was not moving whatsoever and he was just bedded up and just surviving. So it's a, wow. a, another learning experience, you know. So you guys harvest that deer and then you had already had a trip to Kansas planned, right? Yes, to go out there for opening day. So harvested that deer, traveled I think the next day and then opening morning of Kansas killed a, a really nice framey deer that was just just awesome, you know. I don't know. He had he had about four or five inches broke off. Had it, had he not been broke, he would have been mid 60s, but a big wide 19, 19 inch deer with it was a nine point mainframe and then kickers on his G2s, just a beautiful deer. And the footage of that deer coming in, it's just gorgeous. I'm sure it'll be coming up here on deer season 22 soon, the next week or two, but I would assume so, yes footage is gorgeous of him coming across that field there it, it is you know we saw him coming from gosh like 500 yards out and he was cruising we had seen two or three other bucks cruising that morning and he cruised right past us and i was able to shoot him at i think what 170 yards with the 6.8 so i got i got a question for you we, we had a few people in the rack pack asking about uh silencer central us going to the suppressors you were shooting a 6.8 uh, Winchester XBR 68 Western with a uh, silencer central suppressor on a banished 30. Yep. Yeah. So what, uh, two things, one, what were your thoughts, uh, ahead of us shooting suppressors or why you thought you might like to, or want to try it. And then two, what's your performance or results been like with that suppressor? That, that's interesting because on my drive down, Taylor called and she was like, we're getting so many questions about the suppressors on social media, you know? And she said, uh, I want to make sure that I phrase this correctly. I said, absolutely. I had two people specifically last year, Greg Glessinger and Brian Kraft, neighbors down there in, to the Missouri farm that we're using suppressors to shoot some does over food plots because we have those those farms enrolled in DMAP. So we they used the suppressors. They had great luck with shooting a doe and not clearing the fields and so on and so forth. And I think I had talked to you in the in the off season about it. I was like, I really want to do this. And and then we teamed up with our friends up at uh, Silencer Central, who I guess they're really the biggest in the country. I mean, I'm not a suppressor. Uh, um, connoisseur by any means, but according to Perry, they're as large as there is out there. So we wanted them for doe management. Well, once you put them on your gun, it does change point of impact a little bit. So we left them on for bucks and frankly, it's great on the hearing. It's great on the shoulder. It reduces recoil. Uh, we're not seeing deer react to the shots. You still hear it. I mean, it still sounds like a 22 going off, but if there's much wind at all, they just don't react too much to it. Um, so 
I've, I've seen no, no negatives whatsoever. Everything is a, a pro from my standpoint. Um, just incredible terminal performance with that 6.8. And, you know, Perry shot a, uh, his deer the other night. We have a, a suppressor on the 350 Legend. And I mean, it just, you couldn't hardly hear the gun go off. He shot it at about 40 yards and deer ran about a hundred downhill and we went and scooped him up and just, uh, I love those things. They're pretty awesome. Just, just no, no recoil and, and nothing. You can't hardly hear them. And also from a footage standpoint, like the cameraman, it's not as, it's not that, um, like that six, eight, when it would go off, even outside the blind, you still felt it inside the blind you know, because it's such a, a massive round or it's, it's got so much heat behind it. With that suppressor, it's all out in front and you don't feel that percussion anymore, if you know what I mean. Like you don't feel it. The cameraman doesn't jump. It's a big, big difference. Yeah. Yeah. That's 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 interesting. We 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 shot ours. Of course, we didn't shoot any deer with them <laughs> like every weapon we've had this year. But uh, it was it was fun to get to shoot them, just getting it sighted in and you know, they're like you said, there's that takes what little recoil on like the 350 that there is, it, it takes it almost virtually down to nothing. So I kind of feel like it's now around that they say, you know, that's kind of a youth type of around, but even like a small child could probably shoot that, you know, especially if you're in a bog pot or something and really wouldn't have much issue at all. Yeah, correct. Yeah, it's just, I, I like it, like it a lot. A lot of benefits. Right. It, the one yeah. negative, it does lengthen your, it's a little long. Probably the <laughs> only issue, you know? Yeah, getting it out of that case, you're like, it's like Mary Poppins bag. Yeah, no <laughs> doubt. Yeah, it never ends. <laughs> so, all right. So you guys are in Kansas. You kill a deer that morning. You send us the bingo, the pictures, the video. And then before we know it, that afternoon, here you go. You send us another bingo. You said bingo, Oklahoma Wade. Yeah, so, <laughs> we didn't even know you were going to Oklahoma. Well, we didn't either when we went out there. I've got a buddy that invited me out, and he, he always just says, I, I don't re I want to remain anonymous. I really don't want anybody knowing who I am because he says everybody's going to want me to invite him out. And so we're in extreme southern Kansas. He said, I've got a place just south of here, 30 minutes in Oklahoma, tags over the counter, and of course, I you know we were like sign us up. So we went down there and and Wade shot a, a five or six year old eight point that evening. Then so we killed the the deer in we killed the deer in Iowa. We drove all the next day. And then that morning I killed the buck in Kansas. That afternoon Wade killed in Oklahoma. Then the next morning we woke up. I drove hour and a half, hour and forty five minutes to go spend some time with my buddy Jerry Hale. So we go with Jerry. And he's telling me about this buck that's, you know, Jerry's not in good health whatsoever, but he lives out in the middle of nowhere. And he said, I've got a buck that's been coming into the yard. And I said, but yet he keeps hunting over on his place where we always turkey. And I said, Jerry, why don't you just stick around the house and shoot the buck that's coming through the damn yard? So I said, just do me that favor. Kill that buck for me. And sure enough, he killed it that night then. He sure did. Wait, you did. after you left or while yes, you were there? Yes, after we left. <laughs> yeah. Are you kidding me? Nope, not joking. He killed it that night. That's hilarious. Yeah. Now, which Jerry was a longtime vertical bow shooter, Oklahoma state champion, 3d champion, you know, back going back into the nineties. And, uh, he's always swore off crossbow hunting because he was a big vertical bow guy and a proud, proud vertical bow guy. Well, he sent me a text today. He said, 
and he, he shot what he thought was this giant eight that was coming in the yard. Turns out it was a big mature eight, but it wasn't the giant because after he shot it, the giant starts showing up on the pictures again. So now he's like, hey, what can you tell me about a crossbow? <laughs> I need to get one this buck's back. So it tickles me to death that Jerry's still after him, you know, and, and like I said, he's, he's not in great health. He's in my prayers every single day, but he's, uh, he's still got the will and he's still trying to kill a nice deer, so. Great. Yeah, That's it was great. awesome. Yeah, it was a great visit with Jerry. We had a, we really enjoyed our time. So you guys were out. You, you you visited a lot of people in a short amount of time because then shortly after that we got a picture of you, Wade, and Dan the Man Thurston. Oh and yeah, can't far. <laughs> so. Yeah, on our way home we wanted to cut the trip in half because it's it's quite a pull from from Jerry's house back to to Iowa. And we left there late enough in the day. I, I called Dan and he was like, well, yeah. So we met in Topeka where we normally uh, turkey hunt and went out to, to dinner and had a good time. And he got to tell us the story about the 180, I think it was a 180, 80 killed, you know. He killed it where we've turkey hunted now for the past 10 years at, uh, out there on Wheatgrass's place. So that was fun to hear about and know where he killed it and all that good stuff. So that was fun. Nice, nice deer for Dan. That's funny. Awesome. Well, that was a hell of a trip. You guys get back, and then I want to I want to kind of finish this whirlwind of a of an episode talking about Perry's deer. We alluded to it a little bit earlier, but this is a really interesting setup that you guys had for the blind that you had for this. Well, yeah, this we've blind. we've had an Omega lift system there because you know I'm the ultimate optimist. We've never killed a deer off this farm, but I have it prepped and ready each and every year. But we had done a lot of improvements to it. And we bow hunted it, I think, only one time throughout the entire fall because we were on to other uh, bigger and better things. And we were after that deer that Perry ended up killing. Well, in preparation for second gun, when mom's coming up, we needed that Omega lift on a different field. So Perry had just yanked it out of there and moved it. And what do you know, the number one target on that farm shows back up. And we're like, all right, we don't need to bow hunt. So we just... Perry and I sneak in there midday and we're like, there's some old barns and old sheds. It's an old, it's an old cattle pasture is what it is. Let's go look and see if that would work. The wind felt like it would, and it was predicted to stay right. So we go up there, the barn is too far off the hill. You can't see the plot. Plus the roof is sloping down and there's no openings in the, in the barn. So we go up to this cattle shack basically it's where they could feed the cattle get them out of the weather and we're like oh my god it's perfect there was one window to film out of and then another window that was too small to shoot out of so i took a sawzall in there and i sawed out a little window for perry to shoot out of and we prepped it midday went home did some other stuff that that we had to take care of i think i did a bunch of interviews that day and then we go back in there at at three o'clock and uh, we had him dead by 304 we were in the blind for four minutes I mean, it, it was just insane because they're never early on that plot. I mean, never. And, and we got in there at three o'clock and he was dead by 304. I mean, you can't even make this shit up. <laughs> it's just, you know, I mean, it, you know, good access. We had great access. Literally, it's the, the food plots on top of a ridge and our access is up the backside of the ridge. And for them to get to that plot, they had to be walking up the other side of the ridge as we're walking up. Of course, the wind's correct. We slip into the shack i just put a tact cam up he and i tape it in place together and we're completely enclosed so they cannot see what's going on inside of this there is only one window out of it okay other than the the, the back that we walked in on but there's nothing that way other than than pasture and i look through a crack in the board 
<laughs> to, to see if I could put a Tacticam outside to face the plot. And I see a doe at like 30 yards. I go, oh, Perry, there's a deer out here already. So <clears throat> I kind of slip over to my chair. He's, he's sitting in his. His gun's not loaded. I sit down and I look out my window and there's five does staring at me. One fawn had me for sure. They had already come in. It was a beautiful day, sunny. They were on one of our green fields that we planted in late September, going back to earlier. And, and, and I just, I had the camera in my hand still from the walk-in. I'm still out of breath from walking up this hill. Like that's how quick all this happened. We got the tactic cam in place and I just turned the record on, on the camera, just filming Perry. Cause I'm like, I'm going to get it up as soon as I can the camera and this fawn will not stop looking at me. And all of a sudden I see his rack coming up behind the, behind the does. And I go, it's him. And Perry looks at me and he has to lean to look through his crack and he does. And then, then I get the gun up or the uh, camera up. Next thing I hear is because the gun wasn't loaded. So he had to, <laughs> he had to cycle one in place. They're all looking in the, you know, this shack. And I suspect that had we been in a blind, they might've boogered. But I think that shack was such a permanent part of their environment. They were like, well, what's going on? You know, and there's no danger yeah. in that thing ever. And uh, yeah. sure enough, it, it, it worked for us. How far was the buck when he shot him? 35, 40 yards, maybe. I don't know. Not far. Full frame. And <laughs> <laughs> well, that's when a love it when a plan comes together type of a scenario. When they come to that field, they always come out the same place. And we knew where they were going to come out. We had very limited visibility from this shack, but we were like, if we're going to kill him, it's going to be right there. And that's where we killed him. So. Oh. And that day, I really wasn't wanting to go there because I wanted to go to, you know, it's gun season. We've got big open bean fields and where you could shoot 200 yards. And this is very limited shooting, you know. And Perry was like, man, it'd be so cool to kill one out of that shack and to kill the first deer off that farm. I said, hey, man, it's your hunt. I'm just a camera guy. I'm, I'm wherever you want to go. So Perry's uh, gut instinct was exactly correct. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Yeah, it was That fun. may be the best story of all of them this year. It's a cool hunt because we filmed everything when we went in there that day to prep it and everything, you know. So it'll be a cool hunt when it comes together. He had a tremendous season. He killed that five and a half with a bow early. Then during Missouri rifle, or no, then Iowa, he killed a six or seven-year-old deer. Missouri rifle, he killed a six and a half. And this deer, six and a half. He killed three deer, six and a half or older this year. And uh, much much deserved because Perry works his absolute butt off all year round. He and Wade both do and Forrest, so... Um, yeah. much deserved. I was really happy for Perry. He was, he was super excited with that deer. Pretty cool. Yeah. Well, so we typically about this point in the show, Tim would start diving into that little piece of paper that you have sitting there and we'd start going into a, a real wild clip and a, a question of the day and the wildlife word and the rack pack members. Okay. So let me ask you, are you up? To doing this stuff you're yeah. the host now yeah we'll do it the real wild clip is powered by deercast and you can tell me who sent it in because i'm not sure you you knew of this one all right so this is a pretty cool this is a pretty cool story let me pull it up um so even though we're airing this probably mid december on december the 7th we had a rack pack member by the name of andrew mcclellan he submitted a hit a video hit, which was awesome. You don't see that often either. Mm -hmm. A video hit of a buddy of his uh, that hit a deer that morning and they needed advice. They had gone through deer cast track and they still were curious what everybody's opinion in the rack pack was of where this deer was hit at. 
So we ripped that off of the Rack Pack on Facebook, and I think we're about to air it here. Okay. And I guess he yeah. slow-moed it for you a few times. Yeah, so walk me through what you're seeing there. Yeah. Yeah, it looks like the buck. He reacts. Look at that leg coming up. See it? So his height looks good, but as that leg cocks for him to go forward, their motion is down and that leg's coming into a cock position, which puts a shield over, the, over those lungs, which has happened to so many different people. But it, to me, it looks like the bone that leads to the upper shoulder stops that arrow in terms of the overall penetration. That's what okay. it appears. But I will say this, videos can be tricky and sometimes it comes down to more than just what you see. You know, um, what's Tracker John say? The, um, you have to put all the facts together. It's multifactorial, or he's got a saying he, he always uses within DeerCast track about look at all the difference, the totality of evidence. That's what he says, the totality of evidence. Okay, so that's the first thing you look at and you say, it looks like the shoulder blocked that shot, but how far does it get in, you know? You can't tell that by the video. And then not only that, what does the deer do after the hit? And if I saw more of the video, I'd be able to, to comment on that. I believe you said that it runs off tail tucking as it goes, which hard. Yeah. Yeah. Which to me is favorable. Um, so I would probably wait at least a couple, three hours and then go see if I could find the arrow at the hit or shortly thereafter, then look for blood, which you told me that they, they went on to say that they had found decent blood, but it was rather dark, correct? Yeah, it was uh, dark blood. Um, he said uh, dark red and waited about two hours. Blood went for about 150 yards, then got lighter. Lighter, yeah, that, that sounds like such a, such a classic shoulder hit. However, I've also seen hits in that area that will get through stopping the off shoulder and then the on shoulder, you know, if the arrow comes out or if it breaks off, the on shoulder will seal off the entrance wound. And if there is no exit because it stopped in the off, suddenly you don't have a valve for that blood to get out and that can trick you and you go, why are we not finding any blood? Well, it's all internal. So I'm, I'm playing the optimistic role did the arrow get into the cavity? Did it stop in the off shoulder? And then did the on shoulder seal off that entry wound? So that's a possibility. I don't know if they've got access to a dog, but if it's legal in that state and they have access to it, I would pursue that, that deer with a dog just to, if nothing else, um, ease your, ease your mind. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I'm waiting to hear back from him. It, the whole rack pack actually is to see what exactly has happened since then. So I might leave him a quick message and, and give him some of the, the advice that you had just uh, passed along here. But I thought the timing of it, this would be a cool uh, real wild clip today versus what our typical kind of social media clip is. Here it is. We actually have somebody filming a hunt and uh, you know, that which is rare in and of itself to get such good footage of a hit. So yeah, uh, it's hard to be fun to go through. Certainly. That, then the other thing you, <clears throat> you go through and go, all right, dog tried and failed, not much more blood. Is it strictly meat, shoulder, no penetration into the cavity? If that's the case, 
then hopefully that deer gets mobile again and you see them in your food. Sometimes it takes a while for them to lay up, much like my story about the deer that was on the sidelines. They may or may not see that deer again. He may shed early, infection yeah. could set in. Uh, there are a variety of diff different paths it can take, depending on what type of winter he faces, depending on what type of weather he faces. For now and the rest of the season, there's a variety of different paths that could go down. So it really depends what was hit and how bad the, the wound is if, if it was not fatal. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for the advice. And uh, we'll find out and pass it on maybe in the next episode here what exactly what the closure of this story is, if there is any. Well, I, I hope they keep you posted, certainly. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that's the cool part about the Rack Pack. We've talked about it quite a bit. You know, there's, I think, over 1,500 members in there now. And this fall, you know, last fall we started it in like mid or late November, so it was too late. But this fall, we have seen a ton of cool stories. A lot of them are sending in our real wild clips. Uh, they're sending up, they're posting their hero pictures. And it's been it's been really awesome to see this community kind of building and just as a little side funny thing for the podcast, it's yeah, been neat to watch. Absolutely. If more of them would film, it'd be cool to get these hits and break them down and, and try to give advice, you know, when it's needed. Because my phone, even though we did DeerCast Track, there's very few days go by I don't get a hit from somewhere in the country or a text about a hit, you know, wanting help with a track job. So it's, it's pretty cool to, you know, to be able to help people when it comes to tracking. Yeah, absolutely. All right, we're going to go into question of the day. The question of the day is proudly presented by DeerCast Maps Parcels. Find out who owns the dirt next to you by activating the parcel layer in DeerCast Maps. Mike Huddleston, what's a good source for leasing ground in Missouri? Um, we have worked with a few different groups in the past, um, and I'm trying to think of the one that you worked with the most. The Hunting Lease Network, American Hunting Lease Association, those are a couple um i know if you googled it there's a couple more out there uh but the hunting lease network is who i have one of my leases through today the one i've had forever yep very good and um i think there's other clubs that you can join too like mid-america game bird association um, mid-america hunting association to where you get access to a lot of different properties but you're a member of a club of many many people so that's another option out there for you mike and i would say Outside of that, local coffee shops, stop and talk to people, get to know them and um, see if you can't find your way in that way. Just relationship goes a long way this day and age because many others will not take that time to, to talk to people face to face. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, and Mike, Mike actually is someone I know. He is uh, there in Montgomery, uh, Montgomery City area, Mark, near Wellsville. And uh, so you know, I'd say talking to the farmer that farms his property. I happen to know Mike uh, talking to the farmer that farms his property and trying to network through him. That is pretty key because, as you said, talk, stopping at the coffee shops, if you have a farmer that you work with on a piece of property or, you know, somebody like the rural community, I mean, there's so many farmers that don't hunt and they view deer as a nuisance and they would gladly have you come lease their property from them if it's not already leased. So if you get in good with a local, a local farmer, there's a good chance he's got a network that you can work through or via him, you know, say, hey, is there anything any of your friends have or do you have a piece of property that you farm that they might be interested in leasing? That's a, that would be another good way to go about it. 
Yeah, absolutely. So, all right, that takes us into wildlife word of the day. The wildlife word is brought to you live by Doppler radar and DeerCast maps. See current and forecasted precipitation animated directly into your hunting area. Okay, here we go. If spring comes late and white-tailed does don't have adequate nutrition to to gestate their fetuses, they will, so I guess it's a phrase of the day, gestate their fetuses. They will A, stillbirth the fetus, B, consume their female year consume their female yearling, C, absorb the fetus, D, construct a nest on the ground and lay eggs to gestate externally, <laughs> which then got eaten by a raccoon. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I would think it would just absorb the fetus. As funny as Tim is on some of his uh, uh, options there, I would think it'd be C. I would think it would be A or C, either stillbirth or absorb. Yeah, so I'm going with C. We're going to just stick with C, and I guess we'll have to find out for next week. Tim will have to let us know what's the answer. <laughs> this is a deep tease, Mark. You will not lose a, a listener from this week till next. They're all coming back for that answer. All five. All five. <laughs> um, all right, so we're going on to the shout-outs, right? Yeah, is that you? Yeah, I could do the shout-outs. So every week uh, we try to um, highlight – somebody that's left a review on the podcast. So this week it was Tripler 0509 gave us a five-star Apple podcast review. The title was humble humbleness. It says, love y'all not knowing everything attitude. Very entertained. Well, that's why we have guests on like Mark who know a lot more than we do because it is pretty obvious. We don't know much of anything. <laughs> <laughs> we try to highlight that as much as uh, we can <laughs> by not killing a deer all season. <laughs> yeah, it's part of the show, right? That's right. Part of the show. Uh, so, Mark, the last thing we do is we welcome those new Rack Pack members. So I, you're going to get to do it this week. It's Tim always lists a bunch of names out. These are new people in the Rack Pack. And every week he throws in a fake name in there. So you got to read the names off. And I already gotta... see the fake one. Okay, here we okay. go. Here are the newest Rack Pack members. And a big shout out to Dalton Adams, Brad Hansen, Ronald Shelmadine, Josh Barton, Jim Trigg, Max Drawweight. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's the, that's the fake one. Craig Cooper, Douglas Miller, Michael Montsville, and Max Pace. It's got to be Max Drawweight. Man, I was thinking Ronald Shelmadine. Could be. <laughs> no, could I'd, be. Say you're, I'd say you're right, Mark. <laughs> yeah. All right. Perfect. Well, thank you very much for having me on. I'm glad I drove five <laughs> hours. There's no, uh, nobody else in studio, but me and you're at home with Cameron Six. So, <laughs> hey, thanks for coming in. Sorry I missed you. We'll see you next year. <laughs> okay. Sounds good. <laughs> Hey, the biggest thing is good luck with grandma this weekend. I would love to have, that would be fun to have her back on the podcast at some point and talk about her season after hopefully she has some success up there with you and she had the early season success with the old man. Certainly. Well, I'll have her captive up there in Iowa for a little while. So we could certainly do it from there. Or you could try to get her in as well. Yeah. So uh, what is she shooting? What is it? The 350 legend? 350 or? legend. Yeah. Now, will you have the suppressor on that one? No, because she's not licensed 
as such. Oh, that's right. That's yeah. right. So she can't. Yeah. That is the tricky part. When you go through that process, you have to make sure and read up on all the rules and regs and laws. You, she can't because she isn't part of, of that. Uh, she hadn't been part of that process. Right. Until, and yeah. Taylor, Taylor either, you know, it's just yeah. me, Wade and Perry. So the cans are coming off and he's reciting in and making sure that they're on with, without the cans and they'll be loud. And I'm sure I'll jump when she kills. So <laughs> how far, I wonder how far off is it? Is it just a few it inches? They were all within three or four inches. It wasn't much at all, actually. He shot them both ways, and, it, you know, it's very little difference, actually. Let me ask you guys this. Did you notice a difference once he sighted it in, if he unscrewed the can and then screwed it back on, so it's it still was sighted in, did you see any difference when you take it, the suppressor on or off? In terms of it being on or off? Yeah, so it was no. on, sighted in, it was on, you took the suppressor off to put in the gun case, you took it out of the gun case, you put the suppressor back on, shoot, bam, are you still dialed in? We've not done that. We just put them on and left them on for that reason, just to make sure, you know, we're so anal about everything, but we put them on and left them on. So yeah. we've not taken it on and off and reshot it, but I, I think when he practiced, he did that and they were dead on, so. Okay, um, yep, very good. Yeah. Well, good luck, man. All right. Thank you. We're looking forward to it. And again, thanks for having me on. All right. Until next time. Peace out. DeerCast is now supercharged with maps. Get ahead of your game with killer new features like live Doppler radar, wind check out to five days, virtual rain gauges, GPS path tracking, and more. Plus, get our 14-day revolutionary DeerCast prediction and access to DeerCast track. Prep, predict, and pursue with DeerCast.